Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches of Husky podcast from Sports Illustrated Husky Maven channel. My name is Trevor Mueller, and with me, the newest member of the Fourth and Inches family, Kayla Olin. Kayla, it is so good to have you on here. We've worked together a lot, but this is the first time officially on Fourth and Inches. I know. I'm so excited. We always did the pick shows with you and those were always the most fun because I don't know, it was so chill and we bantered so much and we get along. We work together a lot. So I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I am too. And, you know, uh, for those of you, uh, Jake did not um, keel over and die after these last two weeks. He's taken a um, a sabbatical to make sure that, you know, he's taking care of his family. Uh, he's got racing season going on. And uh, when we had this conversation, the first name that both of us brought up to uh, take his place is Kayla. So uh, I've worked with Kayla a lot. I'm sure if you, you know, follow anything on Sports Illustrated, um, you've seen a ton of Kayla's work uh, and it's really good. And I got to tell you, Kayla, the probably the biggest compliment you got was from a former national champion from uh, the University of Washington when we announced uh Shane Pacuna said that you really know your, your football. And I don't know if anybody else could give you higher praise than that. I had one of those Apple watches and I was wearing it when I was reading that, of course, as I was scrolling and my watch kind of started going off. And it was like, that'd be a good time to breathe because my heart rate was like so high and I wasn't breathing. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Like first I was blushing when you told me you guys really wanted me to come on here. And then when you announced it and I read that, I was like, I can die now. Yeah. Yeah, Getting somebody who has a national championship ring, giving you a ringing endorsement. That's basically getting an endorsement from a president. Yeah. I was like, Trevor, I'm good. (laughs) I don't need to like ruin my image now by going on this. Exactly. I think you're, yeah, you're, (laughs) you're doing us a favor coming on after, after, uh, after that compliment. So thank you for coming on. Uh, unfortunately we got to start with, uh, a week that is going to, you know, be, uh, frustrating for fans. Um, it's two weeks in a row where, you know, we both like to keep it positive, but there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. There's looking in the mirror is something that's going to have to happen for this program. Some people are going to be upset with, uh, either way, whether it's, fans or people around the program in the community talking about how, you know, you just got to lay off the, you know, you're too negative, you're too negative, or you're too apathetic, you're too apathetic. Um, where do you land yeah, right I now? Personally I personally mean, have never voiced a lot of negativity on any yeah. of my social media just because of our platform and, you know, trying to be pretty neutral about right. it. And then I posted kind of like my first, like, red flag uh-oh last week after Montana right. and then during the Michigan game last night I kind of just let them fly because I don't think and I mean this is kind of jumping right into it with my instant reaction I just didn't really see any changes that were made too much and I think so that fans understandably get to be frustrated a little bit and I don't think they did it on, I don't think players or coaches are wanting to lose on purpose by any means, but it doesn't mean that people who are so invested in a team and have been for decades and decades and decades, it's not like just, oh, I know a kid who's playing, so I'm going to be invested for four years. That's it. So I think that almost is kind of a stem of the issue with why fans are so upset. 
Yeah. And, and to go along with that, like, I thought one of the things that you said last night was perfect is, is you're not mad at the kids. There's, there's no frustration towards kids in this situation. Um, these kids are highly, you know, they're all talented players. And whenever there's something that we see that we we're going to talk about that's negative, it's always in the light of support of these players. Um, it's the grown, it's the grownups in the room, right? It's some of the the schemes that have we've been seeing uh, from the leadership down. Um, before really we get into the game, I do want to talk about the the coaching staff a little bit and. One of the reasons why I feel very justified in some of my frustrations around this program is the high expectations that Jimmy Lake himself set. Um, he talked about this being a special year. He talked about um, big bowl games and coming out flat against Montana is one thing, uh, you know, whether that's keeping the playbook down or, you know, really anything around it's Montana, they, they, they bitch you, right? But then this, the game that everybody has circled for the non-conference to go lay an egg and, and yet again score zero points and a half, it's just unacceptable. I am not sure how much you and Jake kind of touched on this, uh, so I'm just going to kind of quickly share Absolutely. my two senses with it. But first off, and it's not one of those, I support this, I don't support this. Jimmy Lake came in already with the – highest of high expectations because of who Jimmy Lake was and what he had built at Washington and known for producing nothing but NFL talent. And now all of a sudden he's stepping into the head coach role. Hey, you know, we're going to get this all around, not just DBs anymore. We're going to be good. We're going to be scared. We're going to be tougher. We're going to be mean. We're going to be aggressive. That's what he, what's what he said at his conference. Right. And so he already had these expectations for somebody who's never been a head coach before has almost like Nick Saban expectations from Washington fans. I mean, I had high expectations for him. I still do. I still believe that he needs to live up to his name and what he said he wanted to do. With that being said, look, going talking about the Montana loss, because haven't really went out and voiced it again, kind of publicly, my opinion, never been so upset with that team. Right. Never been so upset with that team. And it was kind of one of those things where after thinking about it, I was like, okay, it's one loss. It's not against the conference. Washington can run the table. They can do this. They can do that. They, they, they just were overlooking Montana because they had been prepping for Michigan. Yes. Because Michigan is the game that they cared more about slept on Montana, didn't prepare properly. And they were just looking an extra week ahead of Michigan. Forget Montana. That extra week was spent. How are we going to play Michigan? And so I was like, okay, you know, a little nervous going to the big house now, not going to lie, but we're going to go ahead and see if Jimmy Lake can meet these expectations that were set for him, especially going into the season. And when that did not happen, that, that right there, all those things that try to be hopeful for, when there was so much negativity the week before that kind of just went out the window almost. Right. Yeah. And, and really what it comes down to, and, and I think Jimmy Lake, I still think Jimmy Lake's the right guy. Um, I, I love what his messaging. I love 
uh, a lot of what he's done. The defense where his fingerprints are most right now looks really good. Um, the, the indictment that I have right now on that program is, uh, is his decision at OC. Um, we've seen this is game six, and how many halves have we seen with zero points? Well, we're, too many. Yeah, we're well looking at many. Utah. We're looking at uh, – I'm sorry, excuse me. Utah, they had, uh, uh, Utah, they had zero. They had zero in the first half. Stanford, Stanford they had, had three. zero in the first half. Yep. And uh, then, and then a, zero a, with Montana. Yeah. And, and that's that's absolutely unacceptable um, with the hype that we've heard about around the offensive line, um, the talent at running back when really it's evident that they're going to a uh, more of a youth movement uh, with the running backs. We haven't seen Kamari Pleasant. We haven't seen Sean McGrew in two games. We've seen a lot of Richard Newton and we've seen a lot. Uh, we've seen some Cam Davis. But outside of that, it's this youth movement of really talented players. But, I mean, extended drives just aren't happening. That, and to kind of piggyback, you named so many players who aren't playing as well. And going back to what you were saying, you know, not really mad at the kids. You can be mad at a position group. You can be mad if somebody drops a wide open sure. pass. In the, you know, you can be upset about that. Mm-hmm. We're not going after these kids' throats saying they need to be fired or rip right. their, like, name image likeness contract away from right. them by any means. But a lot of these kids are coming into a program and I don't want to say wasting them, but, you know, people are choosing to stay home and be hometown heroes and people are transferring into this program and betting on Washington and with the coaches and the schemes and the gameplay and how things are decided at game time doesn't really do them any favors, let alone them any favors in terms of the fan base to get the fan base to like them because they're not put an opportunity right. where they can't excel. Well, yeah. And it, I thought it was really telling in the post-game press conference when Terrell Bynum was asked if they should be throwing the ball earlier. And he said, you know, we believe in, obviously I'm a receiver, so yes, but we believe in whatever, you know, Coach so says. yes, with a little bit of can't say no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause he was like, I mean, we're going to, we're going to trust whatever John Donovan says. And it's like, well, how, how long are we going to trust what John Donovan says when the offense has been um, anemic at times uh, and, and really unwatchable. I mean, I formation is great in certain situations, but we saw a lot of I formation early in the game where the box was stacked and, and like said, after the game that they have to, when they see the box stacked, they have to throw. And I saw a lot of first first down runs up the middle for two yards, another run up the middle, uh, and then you're in a third and eight where you have to throw the ball, and that's just not setting your offense up for success. Yeah, I, I've done so many high school games as an official, and I have never seen that many high formations yeah. in one game. I was like, okay, guys, like we yeah. got three plays to choose from now like mm-hmm. maybe right maybe. yeah and if you decide to go out there was one where they were in that formation early in the game uh, I think it ended up being a, a sack on Morris there was only two receivers running routes and uh, that's an issue as well 
especially, you know, the O-line can't hold up for checkdowns on two receivers back and forth because right. they can't get open. You know, there's so many logistics that kind of go about it. Right. And speaking of the coaches, I love that you brought it up because I don't think you and I have ever actually talked about the coaches before, mm-hmm. but Chris Peterson recently went on a herd with Colin Coward. And I don't know if you've seen the clip of what yeah. Oh yeah, he said. Yeah. Basically for people listening, if they don't know, it was kind of just like asking his opinion on the system and you know, how long it takes to get your system into a program. Right. And he referenced back to his first years at Washington, you know, had to win the last four games to even be bowl eligible, right. goes on, wins the bowl, you know, that type of thing, yada, yada. And then very, very soon after, you know, they're in the playoffs. Do you think that translates with this and Jimmy Lake because he already basically came in on a silver platter and an easy transition? Or do you, do you stand by what Chris Peterson said and think that, you know, we should give Jimmy Lake a couple few years to make that transition, like full, full question. Right. Yeah. And and I think the answer is, I don't, I don't agree with Chris Peterson in this situation for this coach, because it's essentially the same coaching staff that was there when Chris Peterson was here and we've seen guys leave. Um, and, but the, the program, these guys already knew Jimmy Lake. They knew his style. They loved his style. Um, it's now, you know, are they going, it's, it seems like more of the decision that he makes of the new guys that he brings in. And so far you got to be a little bit frustrated He's made two defensive, uh, two coordinator hires that I think have really defined the Lake era. Um, Bob Gregory, it seems like the defense is still playing well. Um, they they absolutely wore down, and we'll get into that. But they're they're being demanded to be perfect because his offensive coordinator hire has not been able to maximize the talent there is on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because keeping that in hire how that in-house hire you don't really have to change any scheming you don't have to worry about it you knew what was working and you kept it is that and then you're bringing in somebody who didn't have offers from anywhere else to try and lead this group of four or five star some three-star kids into the end zone all the time and it's just not happening so clearly you can circle which one is proven to be the better choice of the two. Mm-hmm. And you can also look at the transfer portal. You mentioned kids leaving. What side of the ball are they leaving from? Yeah. You know, which position groups are the ones that are leaving? Right. None of the running backs have left, and there's about seven in that room right now. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a loaded room, just like you were saying. And Sean McGrew, Kamari Pleasant made the choice to come back. Exactly. Kamari Pleasant's been around the program for as long as I've been alive. Right. Not actually, not actually, <laughs> but no, he's been around and he's stuck it out. And right. so for kids to come in, they like the program and then a hire is made and then he's there for four games and kids start leaving before those four games or after those four games, right. you gotta kind of take a step back and address why and there's probably so many things it's not just hey jimmy like not a fan of this play calling not a fan of this it's probably a little bit more than that but yeah no you're absolutely right and and 
I, I still, I, I've already said it. I love Jimmy. Like I, 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 I want him to be successful here. Um, there I am. I saw somebody, you know, obviously you're going to see the fire everybody stuff afterwards, but there was even some people outside of the community that were talking about, you know, who's on the hotter seat, uh, Jimmy Lake or Clay Heldman. And I don't think that's even a conversation that we're going to be having yet. Um, I but, mean, if USC hasn't gotten rid of Clay Helm, I don't think Jimmy's going anywhere. <laughs> ever. I mean, come on, <laughs> ever, if that's the case. So, uh, but I, I, I think that there has to be some, um, you know, uh, as a, as a first time head coach, um, as a, I mean, he's a unbelievably accomplished person. Um, they're maybe bringing in somebody with more seasoning or, somebody like him, who's a big time up and coming coordinator, go grab something like that. Instead of somebody, I know that he, he talks a lot about how he, he walks in a lot of NFL circles. So there's a lot of um, conversations and, and that's what he kind of, that's what he sold us on John Donovan. But even with that, uh, I think going out, either getting a, a big time OC and we'll talk about that later um, or somebody with a proven track record, like, you know, begging Ted, Jeff Tedford to come now that he's retired and, and be at least a consultant, if not get him on as your OC. I mean, things like that have to be on the table. Um, but, you know, before we get, I mean, we've already talked to like kind of the, the, the big picture, let's talk about this game a little bit. And uh, obviously Washington went to the big house and fell uh, 10 to uh, 31 and one quarterback threw almost 300 yards, one quarterback threw almost 50 yards. Um, and the one who threw 50 yards uh, won the game. And, uh, you know, we've talked about kind of our overall feeling. Um, I want to kind of turn to what did you think was the most important play of the game that led to this really disappointing loss? It's hard because I think there's two very important plays that we kind of need to look at. And they both, you can just, talk about all the offenses and their three and outs and those bad decisions. But at that point, that's not the turning point in the game anymore because it was the entire game, but some two big turning points, one turning point that kept Washington in the game for as long as they did was the fourth down goal line stop. Yes. That was huge. And it kept Washington in the game. Mentally, emotionally, they stayed invested because it was, look at what we just did, you know, just took away seven points for Michigan in their own house. Yeah. And that's why Washington stayed in it for as long as they did. I think it started to go down a little bit with the fourth down fake punt. Yeah. Just because it was, oh, they just got one out on us and that next play. And that could have been huge. And then the kind of final one that was almost that basically sealed the deal was the unsportsmanlike taunting, which would have been a fourth down, a punt, because it was about third and fifth, third and 12, I think, maybe yeah. a little bit longer. And then they go down and score a touchdown off right. of it, almost in two plays. And so at that point, and while the defense, we're going to talk about the defense and how you, like you said, they needed to be perfect. Those unfortunately were the kind of turning points, I think, mentally and emotionally in the game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that 
uh, kind of going back to the, the goal line stand. Um, it was so cool to watch that because you saw a communication between uh, Edifano Ufushio and Kwao Pehopa, um, where he, he slapped him on the side of his, uh, um, of his hip. And as soon as the ball was snapped, uh, Peopa went down, took out and, and took out the offensive lineman. And that's where you saw Ula Fushio and uh, I don't remember which running back it was meet and, and Ula Fushio won that battle. And, uh, what a great play, um, but we all knew in the back of our heads, like, okay, what is, what is the offense going to do to respond? Especially um, when they have to go 99 and a half yeah. yards exactly. when they were struggling getting first downs. Right. Um, the, the other one that um, was, was really close in proximity to the fake punt, which, you know, was, was really tough was uh, Washington's fourth down and one where they yes. called, where they called the QB sneak. They got it, uh, but there was a timeout, and instead Before of the delay of game penalty, yes, and instead of going and redoing it, and and either being being aggressive like Jimmy Lake has always talked about since he's been the head coach, we're gonna have an attacking style offense on that fourth and one in a big place where you you know the strength of your team is your offensive line. You go up and you move them three feet. Uh, they decided to punt. And I thought that uh, was a move that did not show confidence in the offensive line. I'm pretty sure you probably heard me screaming all the way from. I did. It was, uh, <laughs> I, I felt bad for your neighbors. I know, right? They're like all looking around. They're like, what is that? <laughs> did somebody die? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, that was one thing that I voiced. I was kind of just like, yikes. Yeah. And so with all of those combined and then um, that big touchdown play where unfortunately Cameron Fabushian took a little bit of a, a, a not the best route on the running back as the last line of defense, he gets past him for that 60, 65 yard touchdown. And, and really when in the moment, as you know, watching this offense for the last year and two games, that seemed like, <laughs> a score that was going to be hard for Washington to come back from. And that was the biggest play Washington has given up since I believe Jimmy late came into the program. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how (laughs) I don't love doing this, but uh, the play late in the game with Cal over the top um, to get them in field goal range. That one was was only like 34 yards. Oh, was it? Oh, geez. Cool. Because I, like, I remember Washington hadn't given up a play of, like, more than 25 or 30 yards. And, and then so, they did, yeah. And then it was only, like, 34. So, it's like, okay, so no more than 35 or more. And now we're like, okay, no more than 70. Right. Yeah, yeah. We're we're getting into those big numbers. So, okay, <laughs> yeah, we've given up some explosive plays. Um, before we get to grades, um. Well, no, actually, we, we will get to grades because we're going to talk about each position group. And um, I get to start with the offense. Um, I told you I would take Arkansas State next week. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> Arkansas State. And, and we're going to talk about Arkansas State because I'm really excited about this game for one specific reason. And I'm going to hold that in my in my cards here. Um, first up, of course, we're going to go quarterback. 
Dylan Morris, see, I would go a C minus because there were some plays. He wasn't protected well, um, but also when he did have some protection, it seemed like he was feeling pressure. So maybe some ghost rushers. Um, and there were a couple of plays uh, specifically over the middle when they were trying to come back where he had a guy wide open across the middle and he, and he threw it a few feet behind him where he couldn't even make a play on it. And then my other criticism would be that in a big spot, a fourth down situation, um, it seems like he locks onto Kate Otten. Uh, and on that final fourth down, there was three guys right around on and that ball had no chance of being caught. It's all completely fair with what you were saying. We saw glimpses of yes. a Dylan Morris that Washington liked and saw why he won the starting job against right. Jay Kaner, who's lighting it up for Fresno State right now. Right. And... It was the last two passes to go into the half. Mm -hmm. That was some huge plays. We saw a really nice pass to Terrell Bynum. Right. Saw him be smart. And instead of just throwing the ball away or kind of going down in the pocket, we saw him actually step up and run an open field. Yes. And those were times where like, okay, this is great and then like you were saying it was it was almost like no other receiver was around which is weird because like you said Kate Otten still is go too but Terrell's on the field now you know right, right. and then almost shocking that it looked like Giles Jackson was going to be his go-to guy from mm -hmm. last game right and didn't really kind of target him too much almost yeah, and that's one of the, the handicaps of watching the game from the TV is you're not seeing what what is going on in the route at that time. And um, so I'm curious about what that looked like, you know, at the game, because it seems like the receivers, when, when the ball was delivered, they were making plays. Um, so it, was it off in timing? Was was it off because of the offensive line? Uh, was Morris second guessing? Um, we don't know that. Um, I just know that there wasn't the, the plays that mattered. Um, he was locking on. Um, and, and that just it, every time there's a play, an easy play that needs to be made that isn't, you start to wonder what's going on in his head, what's going on in the coach's head. And we know what's going on on everybody on Twitter's head because they just immediately tweeted. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I don't know where the confidence in Morris is around the staff. Um, I don't know where the confidence is around Morris in my own head. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm going to have to think I don't have to make any choices. And I just talking about how Kate on, he was the leading receiver for Washington last year. He's a stud. Right. I am forever grateful that he came back yeah. to endure these first couple of games with us. Mm -hmm. But it almost is not a good thing right. that Otten is the man, the go-to man, because teams can game plan for that. You know, you take out Otten out of the equation and Morris panics. Or, you know, who else are they going to throw to? No one. They're just going to run up the middle. Okay. Right. You know, easy right. enough. And so it's almost a bad thing that Kate mm -hmm. Otten's so good because 
like you said, you know, Dylan Morris is, this was his sixth start ever. It was his very first ever game on the road. Right. Very first ever game on the road. And so, of course, he's going to want to, you know, look and lean Find on. Find a safety some... blanket, yeah. Exactly. And that's just not what Kate Otten can be to Dylan Morris for Dylan Morris to be successful because right. you can just tell he's just not comfortable, you know, doing really any of his other check downs. Or if he does, he's like, boom, 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 Cade, where are you at? Yes. Yeah, I agree. I saw that as well. Um, running backs, I gave them a C, uh, C minus as well. Um, holes, holes were hard to come by, but when there was, it, it just seems like, and this has been a criticism of Richard Newton for a long time is he runs into his blockers. And I saw a lot of situations where Richard Newton was running into guys in white and that's not a good thing. Um, what I did see, what, what I think that a lot, uh, there's been a lot of people talking about this for a while is Cam, Newton, uh, Cam, uh, Cam Davis is the best running back right now, the most talented running back in the stable. And I think we saw that in, again, yards were hard to come by on the ground because there were so many guys in the box, but I saw vision that I haven't seen since a Savan Ahmed or a Miles Gaskin from uh, Cam Davis. I actually saw something somewhere and it was if Washington had Miles Gaskin in this exact same group, that's the only thing that's different. You know, does, is the score different? Does Miles Gaskin rush for more than hundred yards? Kind of like Miles Gaskin was. And some people were like, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Because he sees those holes and he sees the field so right. well. Yeah. It doesn't, it seems like Cam Davis is a little more patient like a Savon, I've never seen anybody like Savon uh, when it comes to uh, patients waiting for something. And then uh, if nothing comes, getting as much as he can. Uh, I think that's why he's having success in the NFL. Yeah, it's hard. Also shocked we didn't really, I know you kind of touched on it, that we didn't see Sean McGrew or yeah. Kamari Pleasant to kind of, you know, shake things. We saw Jack Westover. Right. Taking handoffs in the backfield. Right. We didn't see Sean McGrew all season. So it's it, that running back room is an interesting one right now. Right. And, and Jimmy was asked about it after the game and he talked about practice and how reps are earned at practice. And I just, I have, I have a hard time with, well, he was your starter last year. We know all we've ever heard about Sean McGrew is that he's a really hard worker. We've seen the videos of him working out. He's come back. So why would he come back if he was just going to think that he, knowing what's behind him, what's coming, that he would take this year to relax and just, you know, not, not contribute. Um, I just don't see that as, um, I don't see that as the way it is. And, and I know, like I've been around college programs. I've been around high school programs. If you have two guys that are in, are similar in skill set, uh, you're going to go with the younger guy because you get them for longer. And I understand that. So it's, it's gotta be one of those two. Um, I, I, and I can't believe that it's just because Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant aren't practicing well. Exactly, because those were the one and two on the two deeps last year for right. for starters. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, Jimmy Lake, the only thing that's a little confusing here is last week with that presser, of course, Sean McGrew was asked about, and it was just, oh, we just wanted 
rich to get back yeah, to get in a rhythm yeah the rhythm the swing of things again mm-hmm. you know didn't reference practice then and then reference practice now yeah and i mean i, I mean he's going to be doing as good of a job as he can because you got to do some coach speak as well because you can't just say like oh well, cam davis and and richard newton are better because at some point you know one of those guys could go down and you're going to need Sean McGrew and you need to keep him, uh, keep him invested and engaged. Uh, co- commenting on his practice habits, though, I don't know if that's the way to do it. The only thing I can think about is if there's some underlying injury we're not sure about. Sure. Because Sean McGrew was kind of battling, it seemed like a couple of very, very minor injuries the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Right. So that's really the only thing I can think about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good point. And speaking of injuries, moving over to the receivers, um, we saw Jalen McMillan in the game, but the only time I remember seeing him at all was on um, more of a decoy on maybe in the end of round. I didn't No balls went his way. He didn't have any receptions. He didn't touch the ball, but I'd say the position group overall got a B. Um, I think you have something there in Taj Davis. Um, he got open in some big spots uh, and was able to move the chains. He seems to get separation better than some of the receivers that came before him. Uh, I looked like a genius uh, in our in our fantasy pool, taking Terrell Bynum now that he's healthy, 115 yards and a touchdown. He looks like the real deal. He looks like the guy that can get open. Um, he's just too quick. I mean, finding ways to get him the ball early, uh, I think has to be a consideration. And then Jarrell Jackson, um, I, I, I wouldn't consider the one that he didn't catch a drop. Um, but I thought he had a, a really impressive game as well. Um, out of the slot. I think that the receivers were probably the, not probably they were the best, the best group on the field on the offensive side of the ball. Completely agree with you. And when we were kind of looking at position groups, I didn't think of bad passes to the ground or well over their heads as a receiver fault. Right. I think of ones that are kind of thrown in their general catchable area. Right. And I'm going to knock on wood here a little bit, but didn't really see many dropsies right. from, from those receivers, which was, Fantastic. You saw a very rare one from Kate Otten, but yes. I mean, that's another story. And mm-hmm. I wish that Terrell Bynum would have been in the game a little bit earlier. Right. I wish they would have targeted him a little bit earlier. I think that could have pulled a lot more defenders away from Richard Newton in the run mm-hmm. or Kate Otten, kind of like we talked about. Right. But as a whole, I really just. I really wish they would just pass more. Yeah. And I wish they'd pass in the problem with the passing game is, and this is one of those things that you can't blame uh, Morris. There's a lot of times where it's third and long and it's the first time he gets a chance to drop back and throw. And um, it's the, and the, the, the last Yeah, exactly. It just the, well, and they're, they're able to pin their ears back and rush the passer because you're not, I mean, <laughs> I've seen John Donovan run it on a, a third and long situations before, but like conventional wisdom is that this is going to be a pass rushing situation. And, and uh, I'm, I'm spacing on the guy's name. He had a massive game uh, tackles for loss. Aiden Hutchison. 
Um, I mean, that guy was so disruptive. Uh, it, it gave me flashbacks to like Evan Weaver. I was so like, get this, like block this guy. And, and they just, um, so uh, I, I am, I am as frustrated as you. Yeah. I mean, there's another position group I really don't want to talk about. Here we go. Yeah. We'll see where you went. I, I went all the way down to a D minus. Um, I wonder, we talked about this, like, Hey, you know, like, is this, is this something where if I disagree, I can give my own grades? Like, absolutely. I go D minus, um, because we, we did see some stuff late that, uh, where Morris had a pocket that he was able to throw out of, but yeah, overall, man, we're just not seeing the offensive line we were promised. Um, I was listening. I was on the way back from a lake as they were doing the pregame show and Mel Kiefer was on talking about Jackson Kirkham being the number eight player on his big board. And I saw multiple times where he got beat by a pass rusher doing a spin move. A thousand percent and giving up four sacks, seven tackle for losses, five quarterback hurries. I don't think that is acceptable from the offensive line that we saw last season, the one that was hyped up so much going into the season. If we're going to hold Jimmy Lake to these standards and say, you put in this person, in the NFL, this person, this person, this person, and right. looked this good and you should consistently be like that. I think the offensive line needs to be held to those same standards for that reason, because you know, why are we taking one step forward and then three steps back Right. from what was supposed to be the best offensive line in the conference, let alone one of the top ones in the nation with all of these returners that are coming back. I mean, again, thank you for coming back. I appreciate, appreciate you, appreciate your service right. <laughs> dealing with these first two games, but you're not making it any easier on yourself. Yeah. I, a hundred percent agree. And uh, I don't really want to say anything else about the offensive line. So we're, we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball. Is F plus, and is that an actual score, Mr. Teacher F plus? It is not. Okay. Well, and neither is an A plus if you want to know. Agree. Really? No. What happens if you get over a hundred percent? Well, then I guess you get an A plus. Yeah. Okay. I've never given an A plus. Okay. I mean, I guess I have to stick with D minus N because F plus isn't a thing. <laughs> yeah. You can say like, how about you can say there's there, let's say you can have a high F because like, yeah, F. I mean like 59%, you're like, okay, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm almost at a D. Maybe I'll bump the kid. Maybe I right. don't like I'll keep it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It all depends on if you like the parents or not. Yeah. The first F plus you give out, I want credit for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Speaking of kind of moving on to things, defensive line. Yeah. I struggle with this grade because they did well in holding their own in a lot of situations. Yes. But they didn't in predictable ones. And that's my issue with kind of how it was going because I mean if you watched any of the Michigan film from last week you knew they were running right you knew they were running 
So let's kind of be more aware that that's going to happen. And this ties into linebackers as well. It doesn't fall strictly on the D line. And so when I wanted to give up my grade, I kind of wanted to do almost a cumul cumulative. Like almost like a run defense grade. On a Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> You're using a lot of teacher lingo. I can dig it. Thank you. I was like, okay, my audience, I got to like, <laughs> match. Yes. no, but I would probably give them about a D minus as well. I was considering an F plus, but that's not allowed, but a D minus is a total. And because Washington has not given up that many rushing yards in multiple, 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 multiple years. Right. Especially when, I mean, when the quarterback, I mean, we mentioned he only threw for 44 yards. He only dropped back 15 times. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, three tackles for losses, three quarterback hurries. Like that's where you kind of saved yourself from that F plus that's right. not allowed in your D minus there. But that's just something so frustrating to me. And it was frustrating to me last week against Montana is clearly the run's working. You know, it's coming. And it wasn't even just, you're giving up third and one, you were giving up a run on third and 16. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's all, I, 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 you're a tough grader. (laughs) Um, I would have given them a little bit higher because I thought that so much of it was, how much they had to be on the field because of Washington's offensive ineptitudes that they were on the field so often, so early um, that by the time where, you know, Washington's offense finally scored a touchdown, those guys had been on the field for a lot of it. Um, There definitely is some issues though. Uh, I think the two, my two best players on that defensive line, I thought Sam Taimani played a great game. Um, and I saw flashes of why Pehopa is going. I, I tweeted that he's going to be after Taimani, he's going to be the next top, you know, top NFL prospect. Um, as a true freshman, he's he's creating havoc on the offensive line, and that's what you want. I guess I'll bump them to a D plus because of also the goal line stand that I had raved about. Yeah. So it's like when kids go and they talk to me, they're like, but, but sir, <laughs> I just didn't use my calculator. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, showed you, my work. I showed my work. <laughs> yeah. You use but, sign instead of cosine. So you give them the, uh, the, oh, the good yeah, I'm sorry. The Sokotoa just wasn't, yeah. wasn't ringing in my head then. Exactly. Uh, Somebody that I, I like that you mentioned on who you really liked. I really liked Cooper McDonald. I think he's done a great yeah. job stepping up into a position that probably wouldn't have been given to him with mm-hmm. ETF's injury. I don't think the outcome would be different with his ETF, unfortunately. Right. Um, but I saw somebody somewhere. I wish I had written down who it was because it was a great point. And it was that Jimmy Lake and company are acting as if Vita Vea is still in the field and these other players who are currently playing on Sundays are on the field for this defensive line and they're not right and they're trying to play like they are and you just can't because it's not the same right now Mm -hmm. 
just in terms of experience and size and almost that fire because Vita is scary. <laughs> right. right. And and you're also talking about you know freshmen and sophomores. Exactly. Um, it's a it's a young line too. Um and honestly like I like to lump the outside linebackers into this situation as well because they're usually foot in, uh, hand in the dirt as well. Yeah. Um, Savelle Smalls showed some things that, you know, why he is a five-star guy. Like he, he abused the right tackle a couple of times. Um, but, you know, when he, he's an elite pass rusher who's learning, you know, run defense. And uh, when, when, you know, it, it basically taking a page out of the Stanford playbook, you keep the ball on the ground. Um, this this front is having a tough time. Um, obviously, Edifant Ulufushio is going to get his tackles. Uh, I thought Jackson Sermon had a better game than um, than he had in in the 2020s. But uh, overall, man, I, I'm with you. The the run defense giving, you know, knowing that in three plays the likelihood of them getting 10 yards and moving the sticks as high is something that's, that's a real uh, question mark moving forward for the rest of the season. And Washington's defensive line and backers that we kind of just grouped together will be like the Mike Leach WSU. You know, he's going to pass so you can defend it. Right. Well, no Washington struggles with the run. Mm -hmm. So they're going to run it. Yeah. And, and honestly, like, I think that if you look at what you have on the back end, you have some question marks around the safety position, but I'm willing, you know, that uh, there was a third and long where um, actually the quarterback made a really good back shoulder throw um, uh, around Kyler Gordon and Kyler Gordon played it really well. It was just a perfectly executed play for a first down. I can live with that. Um, yeah. because when somebody you, puts the brakes on you and you're not, it's not yeah. like he got beat. He didn't get beat. He oh, not at all. Down the field. Uh -huh. and, and it was like, what was crazy about that play is it looked like it was, uh, it was going to be a post and Gordon was running the route and he just stopped in a spot in, in the soft spot of the defense. And, and if, if you're going to go at Kyler Gordon, Trent McDuffie, uh, Buki, I, I'm going to take that. Uh, I'm going to take that matchup more than I'm not. Uh, so, you know, it's almost, you know, put these guys more out on an Island and, and, and force these teams to throw the ball because I, I don't think Michigan was going to be able to beat you on the arm of their quarterback. Absolutely not. And my grade for the DBs is probably a B plus. It's not an A because there was no takeaways. And I think that I take that into consideration with all the defense as well. Mm -hmm. um, especially the defensive line and the linebackers. Um, right. They didn't really have any opportunity to right. takeaways like you were mentioning. Michigan was also out there top receiver. Would that have right. changed how much they passed? Probably not. Right. And only passing for 44 yards. Those DBs did great. Yeah, how do you Kyler, how do you not give them a decent score if they they hold the quarterback to under fifty yards? That yeah yeah yeah, yeah. A minus. You don't get that A for no takeaways. No, yeah, and, and you know what? I actually like your B because the uh, that the 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 assignment uh, by Cam Fab on that uh, the, the 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 
yes. route he took, uh, I think, bumps you down. Um, the route that will not be mentioned. No, I'm kidding. Exactly. So um, I, I love the B my, a B plus. Uh, I think that's a good spot. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, I do love how much they're moving guys around in the back. You saw all of the uh, defense. I mean, left side, right side, nickel. You saw the same three guys for most of the game. But we saw Dominic Hampton. Um, unfortunately, we, we talked about that taunting a little bit. And while I don't love it, uh, I understand, like, when when a guy tries to jump Trent McDuffie, you have to tell him that's a stupid idea. Um, don't do that again. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, like, calling him a bad sport like I saw, yeah, like, that's not going to happen. That, that's not what it was. Um because, and then I just have to cut you off and jump yeah, in sure. here. Fans are going to get so mad if he didn't. If he had helped him up, they'd be like, what are you doing? You're losing right. by 21. You know, mm-hmm. like, where's this attitude? Where's this killer mentality? Right. You know, people love when Jake Browning did the point. Right. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. I and, mean, and I it, think you're absolutely it was a right. a situation and what right. led to it, but... I totally agree. And I just think that uh, saying that it's, it was, it was probably a, a not the right time to do it. A stupid play is the, the right thing to do saying that, you know, he's, he, he, he doesn't have any class. That's, that's not going to fly. Completely, completely. Mm-hmm. Or even if, you know, like I'm Jimmy Lake, like I love that fire. Thanks for, you know, making a great right. stop. Thanks for kind of celebrate with your teammates. In their place. Yeah maybe not do it on third down right right. i'll put you back in and you can go say it you can run to the sideline if you want after the game right i'll give you that opportunity (laughs) yeah there's there's got to be a better way (laughs) but uh but we saw alex cook he he put a hit on the quarterback that his his descendants felt he was Uh, like i'm not passing anymore he's like sorry jim yeah that man i and and i'm I'm impressed that he didn't break any ribs on that. Um, you saw Asa Turner back there. Cam uh, Cam uh, Cam Williams made a big play late uh, on in the flat. Uh, it's just really good to see, especially those two who were the starters early in their career. Uh, we didn't see Williams on the field uh, in, on defense at all last year, um, making plays again. Um, we saw. I thought that uh, Julius Irvin had some really good reps as well where he was in the right place um so there's there's really good things obviously in this defensive secondary uh we're just you know when is it when are we going to see this defense get help from the offense I think that's what it is Alameda said it he's like defense is playing well hopefully the offense can come and uh, give them some support and fortunately for the second week in a row that did not happen yeah, and you look at, you know, Kyler Gordon, that very first drive for Michigan, beautiful textbook pass deflect, deflected yes. there. The only one of the game. Yep. So shows how little they passed, but also shows the talent there. And then you want to look at the two, like there's only three tackle for losses. Two of them came from those DBs. Yeah. Trent McDuffie and Cam Williams. Yeah. And then you also had Bookie. And one of the quarterback hurries was from in the back. The what? Yeah. Is that what you said? I'm sorry, I was talking too loud. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, we're so excited. We're like, oh, we DBs. We can talk about DBs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, 
no, I was saying, and then of course, Bookie getting in the backfield and yes. kind of hurrying the quarterback. And it's yes. just these DBs are everywhere, and these DBs are, and the defense as a whole, they're mm-hmm. not getting the break that's needed. And I think that's why the score was so low for so long, because 31 to 10, I don't think accurately represents how hard the defense was playing. I think yeah. the defense got tired. And you're going to get tired with being on the field three quarters of a four quarter game. Yes, absolutely agree. Um, uh, Peyton Henry had an opportunity. Uh, he put his one and only opportunity through for uh, one for one field goal. Reese Porter, that first punt, man, that was crushed. Um, Yikes. <laughs> yeah, he had he had one shank. But other than that, Reese Porter, man, he is gone from a rugby style punter to somebody who's going to be possibly, you know, sniffing a a roster spot in the NFL if he chooses that. Yeah, that was a gorgeous bounce and it saved Washington for probably three or seven more points. That shank went her a little bit because of how far back Washington's offense was back right in their own side of the field. But aside from that, can't really be too mad at any special teams. Tim Horn yeah. was putting it back into the end zone. It's something I know we had talked a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, his freshman season, they were all touch, they were all touchbacks. And then right. I saw him dropping it about five yards short of the mm-hmm. goal line. And now it's back to all the way of touchbacks. So yeah. special teams, A. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I'm with you on that as well. Um, we've talked about coaching. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add about coaching? Because I think we're going to have to talk about it quite a bit in our questions. Yeah. I mean, I think you're filling out an application right now. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we hire Trevor Mueller, we're in big trouble. <laughs> I'm going to like pull out my old like Madden, like, okay, my all pro offense. What was I running? Right, exactly. Um, so first question comes from Natty in the womb 92. Um, where the F is McGrew? Like, uh, yeah. So where, where the F is McGrew? Um, we've talked about it a little bit. What do you got? Anything, anything else? I think the, probably after talking about it, discussing, I think I would probably guess there might be a slight injury somewhere Yeah. that they don't want to rush him back too quickly. It'd kind of be like throwing ZTF out there right now. Like not healthy. You can walk, you can walk the sidelines, but it's not worth throwing you out there right now. Yeah. Cause if he's healthy, you got to think that, uh, well, there's one of two ways you can look at it. Uh, you have, you have one more game before conference. And the, the crazy thing is, is, uh, not all of the goals, but the goal of winning the North and representing the PAC 12 is still absolutely, um, attainable. How likely is that? I guess as we go week by week, we're going to figure that out more. Um, if there's a chance and if, if he can be somebody that's going to be positive in that offense, you have to play him. If, you know, the, the trajectory keeps going this way, you have to go to a youth movement and that sucks for him, but for the betterment of the program, you're going to play the guys you know, uh, let them make mistakes out loud on film in front of fans. Um, and, and then and the, the only thing that makes me kind of almost question whether it is an injury or not is because we also didn't see Kamari Pleasant. Right. Because if you see him, that almost tells us there's an injury there. Right. Yeah, that's but a really good point. 
so, you know, who knows if Jimmy Lake somewhere is like, you know, need to get a couple of these guys in here, make them think that those are running back so that we can throw a couple more. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, that's, that is a really good point as well. Um, P at PC where it says, knowing what we know now, what is a reasonable expectation for the rest of the year? Um, gosh, I think a reasonable expectation is low scoring games. I don't think you're going to be seeing 2016, 17, 18 points on the board from Washington. I don't think you're going to see a 70 to 21 win over Oregon. Right. Um, I fully believe that Washington will still try and run the ball the way that they have been. I don't think, and Jimmy Lake has made it very clear. We will not be an air raid offense, even if that's what seems to be the only thing working on offense. I see a lot of frustration and I think that's the expectations are getting lower and lower. They didn't, they didn't cut, get cut in half because it was Michigan and we knew winning in the big house would not be easy, Mm -hmm. but I think it also put a little bit of more humbleness on our expectations for the season. I don't know about you. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously the expectations have changed. Um, in, our, in our preview of Washington, I said that Washington would go 10-2 and two and win the North. Uh, so I said 10-2, but I didn't think two losses would come from Montana. I agree. I actually didn't think either of the losses would be these first two games. Um, I, I thought they were going to drop a couple in conference because the Pac-12 is silly. And uh, silly teams beat good teams and good teams lose to good teams. And uh, I thought that Washington would be ready to play this Michigan game. Um, my belief is that that Jimmy Lake can get the best out of these players because I think that he is extremely charismatic. Um, it looks from and all obviously all of this is from the outside. But when he talks, I believe him. Um, and I think that he absolutely cares about his players. And um, uh, therefore, uh, I thought that this was going to be one that they're going to, you know, they're going to win for win for coach. Um, because, I mean, these kids are going to these kids know that after that Montana game, uh, there's there's going to be some there, there's going to be some tough times. Um, I mean, do I have to say, I think they're going to be bowl eligible? Like, yes, I think they're going to be bowl eligible. Um, I think, I, I, I hope, I mean, we're going to start counting games as we go to see if that's a possibility. But I, I just, if there's some fundamental changes when it comes to the offensive game plan, um, uh, protections, and uh, whether that's a change at the OC or not, um there, there is something broken. It needs to be fixed. So uh, I think that <laughs> the homer in me is like, yeah, we still win the North, but um, you know, coming in second or third, I think, and, and having seven to eight wins um, is still attainable. I was going to ask you kind of what you were thinking the new record would be, or yeah. if you still think it's 10 and two and <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I feel like I like to be as realistic as possible. 
I am not seeing a Pac-12 North champion or a Pac-12 champion team from what I saw those first two games. And then if you want to compare that to how Oregon played and made those adjustments against the number three Ohio State. Yeah. I don't see it happening if we're going to be, and I, and I think people can be optimistic that, you know, it is a possibility that Washington can run the tables, can win the North, can still drop another game or two in the South. Playoffs are out of, out of the option. I think they were when they lost to Montana. Yeah. They were absolutely gone by that point. But I just, think that if Washington fans almost now take a step back and be like, as much as we hated Oregon, look, Oregon looks good. Right. Oregon looks good. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. their new quarterback is not playing like a new quarterback. Right. And they looked to make the adjustments needed to beat a good team. I think our expectation should be to get a decent bowl and to win in a bowl. I think that's a really appropriate one. And if this wasn't a program that had just gone to a bunch of, you know, New York six bowls. Uh, I mean, we got to remember that the last game that uh, Chris Peterson coached in, he was like, uh, what was he? Eight and was it, was it eight and four at the end of the, the 2018 season going to the Vegas bowl. Like we've, it, this, this wasn't a team that had just come off of uh, a fiesta bowl. Um, there were some issues there was going to be needing a new quarterback. So like, I think Lakes, they only had two losses. Wh- what's that? I think they only had two losses. They lost to Cal, Oregon. Yes. Stanford. No, they did not lose to Stanford. No, because they won the PAC 12 championship that year. Um, and then they went to the Vegas bowl. Huh? I mean, oh, they also lost to what was it? Auburn, USC? Right? Was that that? No, that was Jake Browning senior. Whatever. They, it wasn't. It wasn't. They didn't go to an. They went to the Vegas Bowl and, and beat up on Boise State. Yeah. Um. So the expectation was put there by Jimmy Lake to be a special team. Um. They're not there yet. Uh. I don't know. <laughs> The offensive line was supposed to be the strength. Um, if it keeps struggling, there is a lot of really talented guys behind them that uh, you, you start building towards the future because the reality is a lot of these kids can be here for years to come, uh, and there's a lot of talent there. So um, I think I think you're right. Going to a decent bowl game and winning is absolutely what Washington should be focused on doing this year. Um, Sis Bates fan, what staff changes should be made? Uh, it's weird to ask that two yeah, games into the okay. season, but yeah, Pardon me. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the biggest one that um is obviously on people's minds. I don't know, I, don't, I wouldn't touch the defensive staff, I think they're, I think they're doing okay, especially you know. Rip Rowan just starting as the D-line coach uh, last year. Bob Gregory moving into the DC job, who where he's had success before. Um, and and honestly, like as as Matt, you can you know he's not necessarily Twitter's favorite coach. 
but the inside linebacker position, uh, he's recruited well. Um, if you look at some of the guys that have left because they're, you know, Edifon Ulufushio became one of the best players in the, in the Pac-12, you know, um, Jake's favorite player. Uh, he just left to go to Utah. Puka Nakua? Uh, no, the, the inside linebacker. Um, oh, I was like, because Puka went to BYU. Yeah, but... his ACL. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Should have had that one up. Yeah, sorry, Jake, because I know Jake's listening. Like, yeah. he had the high expectations. He mm-hmm. had. He's got three brothers, yeah. No, yeah. He had those, these like playoffs for me expectations to know this guy for him. And uh, (laughs) sorry, Jake. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, obviously he left. um, And then, you know, it it, was it his choice to play those two seniors, uh, Wellington. Uh, I I, I don't know. You know, we don't get those opportunities, but the guys that are there right now, Ulufushio, MJ Tafisi might be my favorite player that's not in the rotation right now, followed by, followed by Daniel Heimuli. So there's there's talent there. So And then obviously the, the secondary is great. It's the offensive side of the ball that has to be looked at. And I think, you know, you look at the receivers, there's progress being made there. It comes down to game planning. And, and you know, Huff, you're not touching Huff. Um, the offensive line might not be – uh, playing well right now, but the guy recruits and um, he's putting guys into the NFL. So uh, I, I saw somebody say something about Huff. That's not happening. The only one that you can have a conversation about, I think, is John Donovan. It proved me wrong. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Absolutely. If I am. Not even close. And I think because, I mean, we were harping on the D line and them for a little bit. So people could say, you know, well, is that coaching staff around that, you know, that area a little bit more in concern. And I think they're being, again, Rip Rowan, like you said, first year, we'll have at least a couple of years to make an adjustment, but he's also being saved a little bit by John Donovan because nobody cares about this D line right now when it's the offense, that's the biggest struggle. So saved by the bell a little bit with that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the D line, you look at it in two years. I don't know if Taimani's going to be here in two years. I think he's going to be in the NFL. But some of the guys that are in there behind Jacob Bandes, Fatua Tuatele, and then Voitanufi. I love Voitanufi. Um, he's so fast. And, and as him and Kwapehopa are in the weight room, they're, they're just they're, they're going to be NFL players. And so I'm not worried long term about the defensive line. I'm extremely worried about the offense long term. A hundred percent. And then you also have to think about the snowball effect that keeping John Donovan will have because I mean, Michigan and Ohio state hosted Washington kids. Yes. They hosted kids yesterday. And so they saw what, you know, an offense can look like and they saw what an offense struggling looks like. Yeah. And you kind of have to think long term, like you were saying, it's not even just this season. It's who do we want to recruit and do we want to recruit better? And do we want to bring in kids and bring in good kids and top kids? Yeah. And I think it starts with a change at the top of the offensive coaching staff. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was really sad watching the Oregon uh, Ohio State game with my uh, sister in law's boyfriend, and I'm like, oh yeah, Omega Buga, he's from Seattle. Yeah. Oh, you see number forty four right there? Yeah, he's from Seattle as well. Yeah, um, Scott, how you doing, JTT? Nice. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, before the game, seeing Landon Hatchet on his on his visit, you know, in the Michigan blue. And then, you know, watching what we watched, like, I mean, I think he's a Washington, I think he'll, he'll be a Washington, but I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau says he went to Oregon because of that Oregon Washington game. So you, you never, you never want to rule any of that out. Um, I think the thing that you, that is going to be a conversation is, is the John Donovan. Some people want him tarmacked. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I would have been upset if he was. Yeah. I don't think Jimmy Lake would have done that, but mm-hmm. I don't think I would have lost sleep over it, to be yeah. honest. Uh, so a couple, I didn't. I did write down a couple of offensive coordinators who um, I think would be. Even Softy said that you know uh, bringing in somebody more seasoned to run the offense for a young head coach would be beneficial. And 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 Softy not only. I mean, he's the biggest uh ambassador for the program when it comes to the national stage he's he's often very uh he, he's apologetic to the program uh and he has a relationship with jimmy lake which i don't um i know some of the kids on the team but he he knows all these coaches he interviews them they have relationships and he even said that the offensive side of the ball needs some more seasoning. And so I wrote down a couple of names uh, and, and one of them is going to be really, what's that? It was a question, right? On who we were thinking the next OC and line coach was. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. It's Andy Seawater to wine. Uh, who will be the next OC and line coach? We talked about line. That's not going to happen. Um, so I have the first one that I'm going to mention is a guy that I'm makes the Arkansas state game really interesting. Um, this is your little, uh, this was my card. I'm playing it now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got Keith, to go all in. Exactly. Keith Heckendorf <laughs> is their offensive coordinator and they're averaging something like 40 points a game. Um, Yay. Which is, yeah. Which is a lot better than our, if I'm doing quick math, eight, something, eight, eight and a half points a game that Washington is averaging over two games. Um, so watching this Arkansas state offense, not necessarily if they're going to put up points on this Washington team, but looking at how, how they run their offense is going to be really interesting because he's a guy that, you know, come next year, if, if this is trending the way it's trending, they're going to be in the market for an OC. Uh, another one is Brad Glenn from uh, Georgia state who Georgia state uh, almost came and beat Washington, you know, years ago now, but, a young program who's who's been able to put up some points. Um, Garrett Riley from Southern Methodist University. That's uh, Lincoln Riley's brother. He's 40. So it might not be the seasoning guy, but it's a new age uh, young thinker like a Jimmy Lake uh, that I think that could be a really, really interesting marriage there. And then the last one, you know, they've, they, they haven't put up many points yet and he's a new OC, so probably not. But I'm not going to not put Marcus Tuyasa Sopo on this list if he's an offensive coordinator. I think that'd be fun. I mean, I think it would be too. It'd be so much fun. 
And like you said, probably it won't happen. I mean, Washington could have the money to throw at him. You know, Washington could easily do that. It would be interesting, I think, is say that were to happen to compare apples to apples and say, what is John Donovan, somebody who doesn't have ties to this program, who's on the other side of the country and doesn't, I'm not saying doesn't care about Washington, but somebody who wore the purple and gold to kind of see if that alters almost play calling because, I mean, he wants to win. He wants Washington to win. Right. He's been, right. He has been on that field and in that locker room and he knows what motivates you and he knows yes. the program in and out and it would be interesting. It would be interesting. It would be absolutely interesting. Uh, hiring former players can go one of two ways, obviously. Um, but if he shows that he's ready for that, something like that, uh, I would say that's probably the longest shot. I think the one that really, the two that really get me thinking uh, excited, I guess, would be, uh, Keith Heckendorf or Garrett Riley. Um, and so come Arkansas State, I don't yeah. know how much you've watched film on Arkansas State. I haven't yet. Okay. I haven't really either, so I'm not sure if they are a run offense, balanced, or pass. Right. But it'll be interesting to look at that prior to this week and see if he then makes those changes and say runs the ball more than they're <laughs> kind of like a dress rehearsal a little bit or, or like yeah, a, right? an interview almost I I would be so down if for you it. were in practice what would you run against our defense <laughs> yeah exactly so um I think that gives you know Arkansas obviously everybody is going to be paying attention to this game because they want to see Washington win um, but I think that adds a little bit extra level of intrigue to next week. And, and we will be previewing that. Uh, that'll come out on uh, either Wednesday, I think Wednesday. Um, our last question, this is, I saved this for the last because you liked it so much. It's Dr. Aaron Hill. Why, why are we, why were expectations so high? What did we see in the offense uh, off season practice that is not being translated to the field? And man, uh, we could spend an entire podcast on this yeah. one. This one like hit me deep in the heart because <laughs> I like, I, I don't think I felt personally attacked for having these expectations and then being mad about them. But I was mm-hmm. like, oh, he's telling me what I didn't know. <laughs> like, right, right. And I don't know if you want to take a shot at it first. I, I think this is your baby. I want you to take a shot. I'm just going to, I'm going to sit back, listen and respond. I think there's multiple things. I think expectations were so high because of what Washington saw last year Yeah. in terms of, you know, battling with Oregon state, but then dropping dimes against Arizona and then getting a historical come from behind win against a very good Utah defense. And they dropped a game against Stanford, which for some reason, Washington and Stanford, it just never happens. It, it's never, yeah, it, it's a struggle. And I think mm-hmm. fans kind of glanced over that and was like, okay, you know, it sucks. Mm-hmm. At that time, we got to move on to Oregon the next week. Didn't We're happen, but it was kind of just... Yeah. And the past was in the past and Washington fans were happy with that. And then when Kate Otten and the whole O-line was announcing they were coming back and all these people are coming back, our our expectations were perfect. 
yeah. we're picking up right where we we're picking up right where we left off. There wasn't really a transition from Chris P to Jimmy Lake. Yeah. So that's reassuring, not having the transition blues there. Mm-hmm. But then we also saw from the spring game, we saw from spring practices, we saw from fall camp a lot of promising and great things as well from the offense. We, you're hearing all about Sam Heward and Patrick O'Brien and Dylan Morris. They're dropping these dimes over these great DBs and they're long passes. They're aggressive. If you watch that spring game, it was fourth three in midfield and they were going for it. Mm -hmm. They were being aggressive and it's just like, okay, you're being aggressive. Right this is what you're doing. You're doing more than just running up the middle and you're getting in the backfield and it was looking spectacular. And, and I think that's why expectations were so high and none of that's being translated to the field. It's almost like when we, when Washington gets on that field, it's okay. Time to be conservative. And And we're not going to do what we practice. We're not going to take the Yeah, and I think it's almost that- like Washington, when they get on the field, they're conservative. And you saw that aggressiveness because there there is no repercussions in practice. Yeah. Like, okay, if you throw a pick from taking a big shot, so what? So what if you go for it on fourth down? There's no record here. And I think that mentality goes out the window come game time and it's not how they practice, which is not okay. And I'm, I absolutely agree with you. The only thing I would add to it is that Jimmy Lake put those expectations on the program. He told us that it was going to be special. He told us uh, to expect a major bowl. So I, and I love it. I mean, what else do you want him to say? Um, there's definitely other ways he would have done it. Chris Peter, I've never, I never heard Chris Peterson say that. And I'm not saying that's an indictment on Jimmy Lake because I want more buzz around the program. Um, just unfortunately, when you say it's going to be a special year, we're going to go to a big bowl game. You then have to do it. And to be fair, Phil Steele did a little bit too. I don't yeah. know. When all those cultural magazines come out, I just like, I go to the store and like take my money. Mm-hmm. Like if it's yep. not enough, I have like a watch. No, no, I'm kidding. Right, right. But Phil Steele predicting Washington as the surprise program again, again, and the last time that happened, yeah, 2016, Washington is playing Alabama mm-hmm. in the playoffs. Yeah, and from all of last season, it made sense. Mm-hmm. I Washington can do this. They have the conference is on a platter. You don't play the two best South teams. Yeah. It turns out we might actually do that too, because I think UCLA is the best team in the South. Yeah. Some game I didn't think I was going to be worried about. I'm also now nervous about Colorado, who almost knocked off number five Texas AM. Like, Uh okay, awesome. Looking forward to November. Yeah. But yep. You don't play USC, you don't play Utah. Yeah. It's right there. And you have decently 
easy non-conference Michigan, you know, could have been the toughest, but it was still winnable. Yeah. It wasn't like we're going to play Bama or Ohio Georgia or Clemson, you know, it was winnable. Yeah. And it was almost like it was all laid out there and the cards were aligning for Washington fans. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the reasons why our expectations were so high is it was set to be coming off of COVID. You play Oregon at home. You play UCLA at home. You play the Apple Cup at home. Yeah. You have it. It's laid out nicely. And because it was laid out so nicely, I'm sitting here like counting down the days for UW football and then I'm sad. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously the coaching staff, uh, they're going to go try to get this right. But right now the state of the program is not where we want it. And, uh, we thank you guys for your questions because they're good questions and they're questions every fan should be asking. I remember the community, uh, and then, you know, these coaches are asking the same questions as well. They, they're the ones that want to get it right more than us. And they're the ones that have the answers. Um, so that'll do it for us, man. What a great, what, yeah, I don't get paid enough to do that. Um, I say just a question for you though. Oh yeah. Uh, if Washington and we can talk about in the preview show, but as we're doing questions, if Washington loses to Arkansas state, do you panic? Yes. Oh yeah. I think that the, the panic meter has to, it is, I mean, the mercury is up at the top of the thermometer. I mean, you lose all three non-conference games, an FCS opponent. Arkansas State's not the not a rollover team per se, but you're they're still you're you're Washington. You have a, a great roster full of NFL players. You can't lose all three non-conference. Um, the panic meter explodes if they lose next week. And if that happens, do you see opting out starting to happen? Uh, you could see, I, I don't know. I, you could see an exodus. Um, why? Yeah, man, I don't, <laughs> I sure hope not. Uh, I hope we don't have to have this conversation next week. They, this is, it's so weird to say Arkansas State is a must win, but it is. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd At have no thought? point in my life did I uh, – I know that Arkansas State is the Red Wolves, and I did not know I was going to have to spend so much time on this preview to figure out what Washington can do to figure out how to win. Yeah, I was like, maybe I'll do some keys for Montana or Arkansas State, you know, like I did, and oh. here we are. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. no, and now I actually have to – Yeah, you have to dig in a little bit. Do a little bit more research for Arkansas State now. <laughs> exactly. So thank you. Thank you, Kayla. This was awesome. First ever show for Kayla on Fourth and Inches. Absolute success. Kayla, thank you so much. Um, make sure that you go on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars, write a review if you want. Um, check out us, check us out on YouTube. Kayla, uh, where can people find you? And final thought. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram at Kayla Olin, K-A-I-L-A-O-L-I-N. And my final thought is 
I am on a tightrope right now in terms of how nervous I am. I'm nervous for falling in what's below, but I know that with the right adjustments can definitely make it across in one piece and sing by the end of this season. But we're also got a 10 more weeks of this. So <laughs> buckle up. Here we go. Uh, beat Arkansas State. Go dogs. Go dogs. <laughs>